So now turn in your Bibles to Matthew 9 if you haven't already and we're going to read from, verse 9, from chapter 9 verse 35 through to chapter 10 and verse 33. Matthew chapter 9 verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his 12 disciples and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the labourer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. And children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will have not gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Verse 26. So have no fear of them, 
For nothing is covered that will, be, will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you and we thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's life-giving and life-sustaining. And we pray now that you will take your word by your spirit and bring us life. Change us from the inside out. Grow us in our love for Jesus and our devotion to him. Help us to encourage each other as we hear your word together and respond to it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's never been clearer perhaps in our lifetime at least, perhaps not in some of your lifetimes, that our world is in deep, deep trouble. Never has it been clearer that we need someone, someone to rule the world in a way that we as human beings clearly cannot. We need heaven to break into our world, to overthrow the darkness, to put things right and to make all things new. The prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven may have more pertinence to us in this time that we find ourselves. We need the kingdom of heaven to come, don't we? We do. And that's exactly what we've seen happening in our series in Matthew's Gospel in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Last week we saw the kingdom of heaven on display through him. The kingdom of heaven being the saving rule of God, breaking into our present existence. The kingdom of heaven that when fully revealed, one day we'll see everything fully redeemed. A new heaven and a new earth where there will be no longer any sin or sickness, no longer any darkness or death, no more sorrow or pain or crying or mourning, but pure joy in the presence of Jesus in a fully redeemed reality. And the amazing thing is this, and we see it in the ministry of Jesus, that this future reality of the kingdom of heaven breaks into the present through him and people as they come to him and put their trust in him, people like you and me find themselves able to enter the kingdom of heaven now and look forward with hope to the kingdom of heaven then. The cleansing of the leper, the healing of the sick, the casting out of demons, the overthrowing of evil, the forgiveness of sins, the authority of Jesus over all these things and over creation itself as he calms the storm with a word. 
are all examples of the presence of the kingdom of heaven in the person of Jesus and of people encountering it and responding to it and through Jesus entering it. Last week we saw the kingdom of heaven on display, breaking into people's lives through the person of Jesus. And this week we see that the good news of this kingdom of heaven is to be made known. It's to be made known. Jesus will call and commission his disciples and send them out in order to make it known. And this gospel of the kingdom of heaven, well, it will see different responses. Some will receive it with joy and it will be accepted. Others will reject it, maybe even with hostility. Not unlike the different ways that people responded to Jesus himself. Now in our passage today, although it is a unique situation and in many ways uniquely applies to those first apostles, as we'll see in the book of Acts next term, when we start our series in that, Jesus calls us and sends us too. And there are principles here in this passage that are helpful to us as we think about that, as we think about what that means for us, what that looks like for us to be called by Jesus and sent by Jesus to make the kingdom of heaven known in his world before it fully comes. Our vision here at Gosnells uh, goes like this. We see people. This is what we want to see under God. We want to see lots and lots of people, more and more people, joyfully advancing the gospel no matter the cost. Note that. For the salvation of others in our region and beyond to the praise and glory of God. That's our vision here as a church. That's what we want to see, that's what we want to pray for, that's what we want God to bring about by his grace and for his glory. But notice, friends, it all kind of starts here in Matthew's gospel, doesn't it? Let's have a look at the narrative again. The kingdom continues to come in the person of Jesus. We see that in verse 35 and following. It says, He went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news or the announcement of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. You see what's happening. Heaven's not going to have a disease. Heaven's not going to have any afflictions. And so as Jesus goes around, the kingdom of heaven is present in him. And where he is, often these things are dealt with because the future kingdom is breaking into the present. He's teaching. But then notice what we see. We see his heart. You see that in verse 36, when he saw the crowds... When he looked out and saw the crowds of people, it says he had compassion on them or for them because they were harassed and helpless. Jesus, this great king of God's kingdom, looks out and looks at people in a particular way. How? How does he see them? How does he see you and me without him? As shepherdless sheep, harassed and helpless. 
And friends, let's not forget where we've been in Matthew. This is, as Matthew told us very early on, the one who shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. This is Jesus, the Son of God. God with us. And we see him looking out on people and we see his heart for them and for us. In fact, what we're seeing is what the prophet Ezekiel said centuries before. We're seeing God as the shepherd. Listen to Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 11 to 12. You can read the whole chapter. It's all about God shepherding his people, but this is just a sample. He says, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on the day of clouds and thick darkness. So friends, here comes Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, the true shepherd of his people, and we see his heart. We see his heart. He is the king who saves, and he is the shepherd who cares. Then we see his heart for gathering people in to his kingdom, don't we? In the next verse, he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful as he looks out, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. We see his heart not only for the people, but his heart to gather them to himself. He sees a harvest. It's ready as far as he's concerned. It's plentiful. It's there in front of our eyes. If you've ever been on a farm and you see a harvest, it's kind of a, it's a celebratory time. It's a, it's a good time and you're just waiting for the, the conditions to be right to go in and, and gather it in. What we also see here is that he is going to involve others in this harvest. He's going to involve labourers, co-workers, if you like. He's going to involve his disciples in this harvest of seeing people gathered in, of seeing the kingdom of heaven advanced. And notice that those who he involves are those who he's gathered and saved already. You see that there? It's so ironic. He says to them, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into the harvest. And then chapter 10, verse 1, what does it say? And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority. And then in verse 5, the 12 Jesus sent out. Where? Into the harvest. (laughs) They're actually the answer to their own prayers. So when you pray that God might send workers into the harvest. Remember, it's possible that you could be the answer to that prayer, along with others, of course, but he may just send you. In fact, he does send you. But they have experienced the deep compassion of Jesus. They've been gathered to Jesus, and now he's sending them out. And what are they, do? What are they to do when they go out there? Well, much like Jesus, in verse 5 to 8, we see that they are to proclaim the kingdom of heaven. Verse 7, and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They're to tell people that God has come near in the person of Jesus. And it's, it's harvest time. It's time to come to God. It's time to have your relationship with God restored and put right. It's time now that you can come to know Jesus as your shepherd and you can enter the kingdom of heaven through him. 
Who are they to go to? Well, Jesus says they are to go uh, not to the Gentiles, but to the Jews first, which is interesting. That might prick your attention. Why is he saying that? Don't go to the Samaritans or the Jews. Well, it's because the gospel, the promises of God are fulfilled in the gospel are from the Jews and first to the Jews and then through the Jews fanning out to the nations, which will come again in the book of Acts, as we will see. And it's not strict because obviously last week we saw a Roman centurion who's hardly a Jew coming to Jesus and finding hope in him. They are to respect, expect different responses as they go and proclaim this message of the kingdom. Some will receive it and others won't. Some houses will welcome it and they are to go in and stay there and their peace is to be upon that house. Other houses will refuse it and slam the door to it and they are to leave there and shake their dust off their feet. And Jesus says, notice, that for that house... It will be worse for them on the day of judgment than for Sodom and Gomorrah. That's interesting. What does that tell us? That the immorality of Sodom and Gomorrah is not as serious as the open rejection of Jesus the King. That is more serious. And that is what will determine people's eternal destiny, whether you welcome Jesus as your king and shepherd and saviour or whether you remain determined to keep him at bay. That will determine where and how you experience the final day of God's judgment. Jesus also makes it clear that this is what comes with the territory of living and for and proclaiming Jesus. There will be these responses. Why do, we, why do we not think there would be? Why do we think that, you know, if we just say the message right or we just relate to people the best way, then everybody's going to welcome us as followers of Jesus and are going to welcome the Jesus we follow? Jesus says clearly, a disciple is not above his teacher. What did they do to him? I'm pretty sure his methods were perfect. I'm pretty sure he related to people perfectly. But not everybody welcomed him. In fact, some really rejected him and crucified him. So Jesus says, this, is, um, you know, this comes with the territory. If you want to live for me and speak for me in my world, there'll be different reactions. Some will welcome, some will reject. So what do they do? They are to fear God. Verse 26, Have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. In other words, everyone's going to stand before God on the last day. So who do you want to fear? The person who's not going to welcome the message about Jesus or the God of glory who's going to judge the world through Jesus. They are to fear God, knowing that he will judge the world in righteousness, and they are to trust him, knowing that he is their father and he loves them. He knows the very number of the hairs on their head and he will take care of them. 
So Jesus sends out his first labourers into the harvest to go after the harassed and the helpless and to make the good news of the kingdom known so that others may come to Jesus and through him enter the kingdom of heaven. Now again, this is unique in many ways to the apostles and their calling, but there are some principles that I just want to share with you from this passage this morning for us as we live and speak for Jesus. Firstly, we, if we're going to do this, we need to personally know the deep compassion of Jesus ourselves. This is vital. This is foundational. This is critical if we are ever going to live and speak for Jesus. Notice again verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Remember again who this is. The king who saves. Emmanuel. God with us. Walking among us. And what do we see about him? He is a shepherd full of compassion for us. Friends, he sees the world's devastation. He sees the disastrous effects of sin and sickness. He sees the kingdom of this world with all its evil and darkness and death. And this is precisely why he has come to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. To redeem and to forgive sinners like you and me and restore us to God. And one day, to ultimately rid the world of all evil and totally renew the whole creation. He is a shepherd full of compassion towards us. And that compassion we know because we've got the rest of Matthew. We know that compassion will take him and lead him to the cross where he will bear our sins in his own body on the tree. He sees you. He sees me. He sees us in all our sin and shame, perhaps hiding from him because of our shame. He sees you and he comes to us with deep compassion as sheep without a shepherd, as people who are harassed and helpless and unable to save ourselves. He lays down his life then to rescue us and to bring us into his kingdom. He himself said these words on this point. I am, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life 
for the sheep. This, friends, is the deep compassion of Jesus towards us. Do you know it? Do you know this deep compassion personally? Have you seen it? Do you see where you would be without it? And have you come to him for it? If you have, the question is this, are you being shaped by it? Because what happens as we experience the deep compassion of Jesus ourselves, we begin to see other people in the same light. We begin to see other people around us who don't know him yet as sheep without a shepherd, as harassed and helpless, as people who need to hear about him. The true shepherd who lays down his life for them. We see that his deep compassion is not just for us, something we're to keep for ourselves, but it's for others as well. And so we'll have this growing desire for that to happen. A desire that shapes us, a desire that shapes our decisions, our priorities, our prayers, our relationships, even our giving. Do you have compassion for others? who are like sheep without a shepherd? Or do you just see people as annoying? I mean, we are all annoying, right? But how does Jesus look at us? Harassed and helpless. Weak and not able to save. Martin Luther once said that telling others about Jesus is similar to a beggar who has found bread telling another beggar where to find it. So good, isn't it? They're both beggars. (laughs) But one of them's found bread. One of them's now nurtured and nourished sees another, another, sees someone else and rather than, you know, oh, I'm not going to tell them where that bread is. Hey, hey, come and see. I, I, I found bread. I know where you can get some. Firstly, we need to know the deep compassion of Jesus for ourselves. And secondly, we need to engage in the costly mission of Jesus. Friends, there's no way of avoiding this. There's no way of avoiding this if we want to live for Jesus. To be a follower of Jesus is to engage in the mission of Jesus. And the reality is there's a cost to doing that. Cost we need to joyfully embrace. And Jesus actually spoke about this when he was talking about people who would follow him. He said, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple." For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, 
This man began to build and was not able to finish. You see it up front there. Jesus is not like, I'll tell him it's all like nice and easy to follow me and then I'll bring out the hard stuff later. No, he puts it up front. He says, there's a cross at the centre of my salvation and following me will have a cost in this world. He doesn't, doesn't hide it. But he also says, whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will find it. We'll find it. Yes, there might be some costs in this life. But the benefits of knowing Jesus now and being in his presence then. Oh. What can we expect if we engage in this costly mission? Well, we can expect those responses. Some will welcome it. And some will therefore welcome us. Some will welcome the message of the kingdom. Maybe immediately even, but probably more often over time. As we reach out to people, invest in them, spend time with them, gain an audience with them to tell them and point them to to Jesus. But others will reject it. They will not welcome it. And you know what? That probably means they'll reject us. There seems to be this you know, kind of indivisible connection between the message and the messenger. When the message is rejected, so is the messenger. And that, friends, is just something we need to come to terms with. That's going to happen. It doesn't mean we share the message of Jesus in a way that is annoying and provocative and you know, hostile. It just means that that will be a response. For some, it will be really hostile. You see some of the pictures there, you know, like parents will, sorry, children will give parents over to death. Brother will betray brother. Now, that might seem pretty far-fetched to us, but in some countries of the world... That's reality. You take up your cross and follow Jesus. You are disowned. You are kicked out. You no longer have a family. And in some places, they will want you to be killed. Serious stuff. Probably not our reality. Well, maybe getting dragged off to court could be in time. Who knows? If certain things become outlawed that are important to us as Christians and things that we can't kind of surrender? Maybe. We'll see. But the interesting thing is, Jesus is making it clear that following him is not a cushy walk in the park that's just kind of a nice little additive to our life of doing whatever we want, whenever we want, and pursuing comfort in every area of our lives. It's not. It's not about a life of relative comfort that at some point, you know, in our mid-80s, we kind of gradually wind down and just kind of slip off into heaven. That's not the picture. Jesus makes it clear, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So we're to embrace the cost of following him and engage in the costly mission of Jesus. Now, a couple of points here. Whatever cost we might pay, we need to always remember 
that it's probably going to pale into insignificance when compared to the cost that Jesus paid to save us. Maybe some of us around the world might lose our lives, but more often than not, it'll be someone doesn't like us anymore or they don't want to talk to us or whatever. So the cost that sometimes feels so big to us in the light of the cross, it's, that's one way we probably need to think about it. Also, what's interesting here is Jesus makes it clear you and I are not actually responsible for people's responses to the message of the gospel. We're not responsible for how people react. Whether they welcome it, whether they reject it, that's not our job. Our job is to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. Our job is to tell people, tell others about Jesus. How they respond is between them and God. So we're always worried about, oh, if I don't say it right, then maybe, this, maybe they won't respond in a certain way and oh, so we don't say anything. No. Our job is not their response. Our job is to prayerfully proclaim and leave the response to God. Now, I'm going to stop telling you uh, stories about the sauna at Armadale Aquatic Centre, but I have been in, uh, chatting to lots of people, well, not lots of people, but a few people uh, in there. I'm actually really surprised how many conversations uh, have come up this year. And I want to report to you from all those conversations in that confined environment with all sorts of people, with, some have very large arms, um, I haven't had any hostility at all. No open hostility. No one's thrown me out. Uh, no one's been aggressive. No one's even been rude, to be honest. And um, there's been some pretty bad dudes in there at times. One guy asked me yesterday, I don't know why he concluded this, but he thought I must be a truck driver like him. And he said, who do you drive for? <laughs> to which I said, um, I drive for the Lord Jesus down at Gosnell's Baptist. I'm a pastor down there. He's like, oh. Seemed to go okay. We'll see where that goes. Um, there's another guy that I've been building rapport with. And uh, I think he's from perhaps a, a country where their faith would be Muslim. I'm pretty sure. I'm not 100% sure yet. But I'm about at the stage where I want to ask him some faith questions. What's, what's your religion? What do you believe? How, you know, and then perhaps a question like, how, does, how do you deal with sin? How does that get addressed in your belief system? With the hope that he might ask me how I do. Or I might get opportunity to say, wow, that sounds risky, or you could probably never be sure, right? So, but one of the things I've noticed, and I've thought about at times, and maybe you have too, is that, I don't know, it seems like not that many people um, take a really deep, genuine interest in other people. I mean, we all talk and whatever, but a deep, genuine interest that requires another level. And I don't think it's that common out there. You know what? That's our lane. That's actually our wheelhouse, so to speak, as followers of Jesus. 
to take genuine, loving interest in other people. Maybe that would be something that provokes interest in the gospel. That at some point gets us a hearing where we can tell people about the one who's actually brought that about in us and continues to sustain it. You know the old saying, right? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So we need to know the deep compassion of Jesus ourselves and engage in the costly mission of Jesus. And lastly and briefly, we need to fix our eyes on the glory of Jesus. Jesus finishes this passage off saying to his disciples, you need to focus on two things. You need to focus on the fear of God as you serve me in this world and you need to focus on the love of God as you serve me in this world. Why? Well, because he knows that they are and we are prone to what? The fear of man. We're prone to fearing others. What will they think? Will they accept me? Will they like me? Will I be included? And Jesus says, no, fear God, the one who will judge the world in righteousness. Think about this for a minute. Think about the great day of judgment. Think about the throne of God with God sitting there and it's judgment day, the final day. All the books are open with every name in them. 10,000 times 10,000 flaming angelic beings are there around the throne of God. The graves have given up the dead. The first resurrection has happened and all humanity is gathered there. God is going to judge the world in righteousness through the man he has appointed, namely Jesus Christ. At that moment, how small do those that you might be fearing today and wanting to be accepted and liked by today, how small are they at that point? That's what Jesus is saying. Fix your eyes on the glory of Jesus. Fear God. Don't fear people who can even throw you into jail. Fear God. And then focus on his love to finish with. Verse 29, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Even the hairs on your head. What a funny thing to say. In some cases, God has a lot less counting to do. But what does it tell you? It tells you he knows you intimately. He knows you that much. And he is sovereign and good. He loves you as his child and he cares for you. You are Precious to him. And so as you maybe even tentatively this week engage in the costly mission of Jesus, keep your eyes 
fixed on his glory. Fear God and focus on his love. He's with you in that moment (laughs) as you step out with maybe just a little bit of courage. Let me ask you, what will it take for you to know more deeply this week the deep compassion of Jesus? What will it take? What will you need to do to see it more clearly and to be gripped by it more fully? Will you resolve to engage in the costly mission of Jesus even though it costs? Joyfully advancing the gospel no matter the cost. Will you ask God for opportunities to speak for Jesus and not just for opportunities but for the courage to do so when they come up? Will you lift your eyes today so that you might live more in the fear of God and in the love of God? Shall we pray? Father, we thank you so much for the compassion of Jesus that we can see so clearly in this passage towards us. We thank you for your deep love for us. Lord, that you are indeed the true shepherd, the good shepherd, the one we can run to, the one who dies for us and rises again the one we can rest in and trust in, the one we can follow. May we do that. We recognise, Lord, the cost of mission. You're the cost to you to redeem us. And we pray that in the the light of that, you will help us to embrace, yeah, whatever cost we might have to pay to speak and live for you wherever you've placed us, to be more bold, to be more open and honest about about who we are as your children. May we do it all with one goal or one view in mind, your awesome power and your deep love that we will know one day so richly when we stand before you, when we enter the fully redeemed reality that will be the kingdom of heaven fully come. Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are. Teach us, grow us and shape us by your word this morning. Amen.